Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Three People on a Couch. Um, we're your hosts, Brian, Steve, Amanda. Today Yay. we have a very special guest, uh, Dr. Alex Hine, over here from, um, where are you from originally, Colorado? Connecticut. Connecticut. Yeah. Colorado, Connecticut, and China. There you go. A lot. We got a lot wow. to cover here. Uh, yep. You've got quite the list of a resume. You're a best-selling author. Uh, you wrote Master of the Day. Uh, and your first book was Milk the Pigeon, is that correct? First one was Master of the Day. Second? Second was Milk the Pigeon. Gotcha. Okay. I have a weird thing for M's and three words, apparently. Apparently. No. <laughs> um, you're also a traditional Chinese medicine doctor uh, practicing here in Lachmont. You just set up a practice. Mm-hmm. Um, you've traveled the world extensively, extensively. <laughs> it's going to work on my speech. Uh, and, um, is there a meridian for lisps? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's actually uh, right in the eyeball right here. Okay, I'll right, demo it live on the camera. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to become one of those like, horror stories. <laughs> podcast gone wrong. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, welcome to the podcast. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Did I miss anything else? I feel like you got a big list that maybe I, I, I wanted to come out organically. Let's just see what randomness comes up and, yeah. uh, be fun. What All part, right. what part of Connecticut? Uh, well, I was born in Brooklyn, New York, and then my parents now live in Stanford. Okay. So on the Stanford Darien border. I'm from Massachusetts. Oh, you are? I was in Glastonbury, Connecticut last okay. summer. <laughs> that's, that's nice up there. Connecticut's it's, a small state. It is. Yeah. My, uh, my, you know my uncle lives there, actually. Yeah, um, so everyone has some kind of connection to, yeah, but it's, to yeah. that place. You've never been? No. Really? You ever been to Connecticut? You're not yeah. missing much. I'm like, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. No. When I go to America, I want to be in Connecticut. <laughs> Connecticut's a lot of farmland. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like the halfway state between Boston and New York. Yeah. So it's a lot of like uh, New York commuters and Boston computers. Sounds great. <laughs> you, know, like, you know, like the rich financial people of New York? Yeah. Like the Wall Street people, a lot of them live in Connecticut. Oh, really? So you can get a home and land. Like Greenwich is where like a lot of these Wall Street money managers are. Oh, wow. Commute to Manhattan. And Stamford is where the headquarters of WWE is. There you go. Right? That's literally less than a mile from my parents' house. Did you ever run into Vince or Linda? Never. Never. <laughs> Are those the owners? Yeah, Vince is the, the owner of WWE. And his wife, Linda, who's probably in her 70s now. She was in her 60s when she was running for senator. And I always thought it was hilarious that this woman's running for senator. And as a kid, I watched her in wrestling and... There was a scene where she was choke slammed into a dumpster. Like they, his like his wife, his wife, like she, the, the whole family was Sounds like a great marriage. No, yeah. the, the whole family, <laughs> very on brand. It is. I love how the whole family really just like goes for it. They're like, they'll fight each other in the ring. There's like cage matches. They're getting put through tables. The daughter's like slapping their family members across the face. I remember Kane, like the wrestler with the mask. He actually choke slammed Linda, like into a dumpster. Jeez. And then wow. she's like, I'm running you're, for you're trained in, um, Martial arts. That's mm-hmm. initially what brought you out to China, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How long Wait, have you have you, have you lived in China? I have, yeah. That is cool. Let's talk about that. When did you live there? <laughs> yeah. Yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> just got back. Yeah, you just did. Uh, um, so I bought a one-way ticket to China, and I was uh, 23 or 24. And uh, it was just that classic experience. Like, first year out of school, I studied uh, biology and environmental science and wildlife biology. And I got my first job, though, as a, a teaching assistant in high school in New York. And after a year, I was like, this is a good job, but the, just, am I going to do this for the next 40 years? And I was like, well, what do I always want to do? You know, what have I always wanted to do? And I'm young enough. I don't have kids. I'm single. Why don't I just do what I want? So I saved 10 grand up for that year. And I just bought a one-way ticket to China. And I thought I was going to stay for 20 years, become a Kung Fu master and become a monk. And it lasted a little bit over a year, but it kind of became like a piece of my, you know, my destiny and story mm. kind of going forward. 
Did you Dude, train that's awesome. in um uh, what is the district? Is Shaoling is the district? Well, yeah, there's the Shaolin Temple. Right. But no, I did um I did something called have you heard of Bagua? Okay. Bagua, this Bagua, Xingyi, and Tai Chi are these three internal martial arts. Quote unquote internal they call them. And so um I just had this contact from a random guy I knew in China who knew a guy that was a former bodyguard for the Communist Party. <laughs> So, but when you think Tai Chi master, you think of like, like old people in the park, like don't right, break, right. break yeah. grandma's hip, right? Like osteoporosis. But this was... Uh, <laughs> exactly what I'm thinking yeah, about. Yeah, first image, first image. But this was like a guy who was a bodyguard for the Communist Party. Like this guy knocked me unconscious almost like six times. I thought he broke both my wrists. And almost went to get, a, you know, x-rays. Like this was like a proper fighter. Uh, you know, and originally even Tai Chi, this, this old people stuff was a battlefield martial art. Mm. And it's just become, you know, it's watered down as it loses its kind of usefulness. Now, when, when, when you have a communist kung fu match, do you have to share the victory? or it's No, everyone dies at the <laughs> end. <laughs> you still die at the end. It's the same. Share the death. It's the same in war. I was so close. So when I was living in Vietnam and I was looking to leave, I was so close to going to China. Because mm -hmm. um, I'd gone to Beijing for my birthday one year with a few friends. And absolutely loved it. Uh, did you do the dumplings at 4 a.m., that whole thing? That was like my food every day. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, that was for like a dollar. Like yeah. Oh, my God. That was amazing. The biggest shock when I think when I was in China was like when I was walking down Tiananmen Square where the famous thing happened with the, the, the tanks and all that. Yeah. And then there's like a Louis Vuitton store, the oh, Gucci yeah. store. And I was like, wait, I thought they're communists. I'm so confused because the way it's kind of spun in America, it's like super communist, but they're they're quite capitalistic yeah. with a with a you know finish of communism on the top. It's like the Pyramids of Giza, right? It's like across the street, there's like all this- Starbucks. Like, yeah, there's like Starbucks, yeah. right? Yeah. Like, like literally when you see the, the picture from the other side, you see the pyramids and then you just see like a line and it's just like modern society, modern civilization. It's crazy. It's, um, have you been back since then? Yeah, a few times. I was okay. staying in a monastery last, uh, let's see, the September before COVID started. I don't know what, even what year that was. I mean, neither. 20, <laughs> 19, Was that a, a meditation <laughs> retreat or? No. So, uh, one of the doctors I studied with for a long time, he actually, he knows the abbess of the monastery. And so they arranged this sweet thing where they basically bring foreigners in for three weeks and you stay with the monks. And then every day they just have lectures on Chinese medicine, just doctors from all around the country and oh, wow. the big city come in and talk. So they just, um, it was a lot of my classmates and some other people who are just practitioners in the field. So you're staying in the monastery in, uh, in Chengdu or in, you know, outside the outskirts. Um, and then you wake up with the monks every day, you do Qigong for two hours and then you eat with the monks and then Chinese medicine lectures all day. And then at night meditate again and rinse and repeat. Wow. And to get into this, do you have to be associated with the school or no sort of have an in or can anyone sort of sign up to do it? I mean, they have these experiences all throughout China. Yeah. Some are very, you know, touristic, touristy and others are just, this was just because my main mentor knows the abbess. Mm -hmm. And so because they had hosted her in Portland a few times, she gave them like this very unique kind of uh, experience. And so that was just a really cool thing for a lot of my classmates and now colleagues and uh, that one of my mentors put on. Nice. So how different is the curriculum for Chinese medicine versus Western medicine? Are there certain prereqs that you still saw, like you took organic chemistry or is it just a completely different regimen? Yeah, I mean, most of those prereqs are the same. It's just less competitive because there's less people that want to go to a, you know, to a profession where you're guaranteed not going to make 150K on the low end. <laughs> right. Right. Because I mean, it's like you pay almost the same student debt but even the, the worst physician makes 150K guaranteed, mm -hmm. right? And if you're a specialist, at least 300K. So the cool, the upside is that the people in my field are usually passionate people, right? Like a lot of creatives are passionate, right? Mm -hmm. 
I'm also broke and same with people <laughs> like me, right? But but it's like, it's they're good people. They're like, it's good vibes because they're people who love the work. Mm. And so they're people who are like really passionate about what they do. But uh, the prereqs, mostly the same, just less competitive. And then you have to pass four boards. So like when I came to California, it has its own state board. So I had to take a biomedical, which is just like, let's call it med school light, same stuff, like recognizing kidney disease and red flags. And then an acupuncture board, a foundations board and an herbal board. So you have to pass those four boards to practice. It's really interesting, like um, sort of the, a Western approach to medicine and like the, the Eastern approach. When I, I broke my foot in Vietnam and after I got the cast on, I went for uh, physical therapy. And usually here, if you go to physical therapy, they'll just kind of like, you know, move your foot around, <laughs> have you walk, maybe do some stretches. And the guy like examined my leg and my foot. And he's like, okay, we got to start you off with acupuncture. Wow. Then I want to do go into cupping. And then they did, um, I forgot the name of it, but it was like um, acupuncture, but it had like, it was connected to a device. So it sort of shocked me a bit. Like Electro. A, like a stim. Yeah. Yeah. And then on top, and then he massaged it. Wow. Um, and I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, I don't know about this. Like, yeah. we don't, you know, we never did this in America. Like, I've never heard of this. <laughs> right. And, but I was like, whatever. My insurance is covering it out there for some reason. That's and so awesome. I did it. Um, and it was amazing. I mean, I was wa- I was walking great after like four months after wow. breaking. I broke these three bones right there. Wow. Um, and that sort of started me into like getting interested in all this stuff. I was like, huh, like acupuncture, like it actually works. Like, yeah. uh, and cupping as well, um, which is, do you know what cupping is, Amanda? No, I have no clue. It's, have you seen those people have those red circles? Yeah. Yeah, it's cupping. <laughs> but it's like, how do you do it? Is it? Can you, do you want to explain it better? I'm, yes. Yeah. So basically you have like a glass cup. I mean, you could have silicone <clears throat> suction cups too, but you have like a glass cup. You light a, uh, some cotton balls on fire, right? And you create a vacuum. Mm-hmm. So then you put you dip it into the cup and then you quickly put it onto the person's back. And it creates a vacuum. So it sucks up sucks the up flesh. The... Yeah. So Why guess, do you do that? A lot of reasons. But I think one of the most popularized ones was, did you see the picture of Michael Phelps in the Olympics? With the cupping spots? I think so, yeah. Okay. So a lot of people use it for musculoskeletal stuff mostly. To increase circulation and increase recovery time and that kind of thing. There's, it looks it looks scary if you've never seen it. Yeah, never yeah. seen a human being. You're like, what? You're like, oh my god, he has a rash. You know what's yeah. going on? Or they've been beaten by their mother. Or something. There's two yeah. kinds. <laughs> one, um, one with the one you just described. The other yeah. one is where they do the same process, but first they uh, do a little slit and they cut you. Yeah, and do it. That wet, one wet is cupping. not as pop. What is it? Wet cupping. Wet cupping. Yeah, you bleed them first and then you cup. Do you practice that form? I don't do cupping much because I'm mostly internal medicine, mm. but but I have done it. Yeah, you've done the wet kind. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, it's big. I think in the Muslim countries, they have yeah. a word for it, hijama or something like that, and the, they you actually bleed them. Yeah, and then you you actually cup them, and so it actually brings up. It's it's pretty gnar- gnarly looking. There was a few places in some of these towns in Vietnam that did it, but I was like, uh. it's yeah. Do you see it? And I don't know about know cutting me open. You know, I was like, uh, yeah. And in a, a developing country, the sanitation, you're like. Yeah, maybe not. Questionable. All the hepatitis is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, there's another form of um, so massage, um, acupressure, is it? Is that mm-hmm. what it's called? Which is similar to acupuncture, right? Except for they're just not poking you. They're just massaging the same points. Is that right? Yeah. I've gotten that before. And that, does that come from uh, Japan? You know, I, I think ultimately it's all Chinese medicine. It's all, it's all based on the points and the channels of Chinese medicine. I mean, even Japan, the language, I think, primarily comes from China. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the influence, even in Japanese medicine, was often from China, too. Huh. But, yeah, the cupping. The, the other one is gua sha. The, I guess they call it scraping. Have you seen that? Yes. Yeah. yeah that yeah. also leaves some pretty gnarly looking lines. Yeah. Ooh. Um, I used to get, um, 
there was this foot place. It was like a, a, a man's version of like a, a pedicure place in mm-hmm. Vietnam. I used to go to where like the mafia guys would hang out, and you'd go there, and like a, a person would come with this little kit, and they'd like clip your nails, and then they'd massage your your feet, and then they would take this scraping thing, and they'd sort of scrape like oh the yeah soles of your feet. And me, I'm this like Western. I couldn't stop laughing. So everyone's like staring at me because I'm like, ah. like um, but it actually, it feels amazing. Right. After you feel really good. Do you like getting your feet like tickled with like a toothpick or something? What? When would no, I have no. done that? When, what? Wait, no, like, is this I, where we transition to the kink aspect? Yeah. Now, now we're going to talk about sex. After the hours. Oh, no. I, have you done that? So I don't know what I signed up for. Yeah. Never like. But even doing it myself, it's it feels good. It's relaxing to just like run your finger over like your foot. It's a relaxing sensation. It almost like calms me down. Mm. And I remember like my sons were my family. My family <laughs> used to like do that to me in lieu of like Christmas gifts because we couldn't afford it. No, uh, they would just do they would do it with, like a toothpick or something, and it, it felt felt just as pleasurable to me as um, like a massage. It felt huh. just as relaxing. Have you done what? acupuncture? Yeah, I have, and I got a happy. I mean. <laughs> I, I didn't want it. No, I'm just kidding. I never did. I never did. That's the okay. luxury uh, acupuncture service. Yeah, it is. I mean, I haven't tickled myself with a toothpick <laughs> under my feet. <laughs> Where is this going? But a rabbit. But no. But I do love foot massage. Like it's yeah. it's the best kind of massage. Like you don't have to touch me anywhere else. Yeah. The feet is good. You enough. put that on your hinge profile. <laughs> Must love feet. <laughs> yes. That's the only spot I like to be touched. Yes. No, we just were, only take the feet. We, only I'm down. Feet. We were talking about ASMR earlier, and if I just watch one of you guys get a foot massage, I can also start feeling relaxed. I can get the same exact sensation of watching <laughs> someone else do it. It's like massage inception. I don't even have to get really? the massage. My, seriously, really? save some money. Just stand outside a massage. <laughs> this could be your OnlyFans. This is your concept. Honestly, sometimes I've watched. So I watch ASMR. I mentioned I do watch the tapping, watch people get massages, watch people get t- Turkish haircuts, and watch like <laughs> med school videos of people getting physicals. Actually, gives me like a ton of relaxation. Oh. Just like going to the optometrist or going to a doctor and just having, I guess, I guess it's like attention seeking in some way. Just having the attention being on me and being like things being done to me, my entire uh, energy goes into a really relaxed state. Hmm. And if I watch someone else, Having that done, it also just really, really relaxes me. That is really, but you don't get like sexually aroused. No, I'm, I'm coming multiple times. So you're just, <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's well just played. like you just think it's relaxing. It's the other one. It's other my people. my brain is sending the signals that this is going to be relaxing because it probably has that imprinted from all the times that I have gotten massages yeah, or had those things done. It's just it's like when you think of like when you think of like having a warhead like. You have a warhead, one of those sour candies. Mm-hmm. You automatically get that sensation of sour in your mouth. You're yeah. primed to already experience that. It's the same exact thing. Your brain having that thought is the same thing as having that actual I external think for stimuli. me, because if I get massage, like full body massage, I can't really relax because I'm just thinking about that it's someone's touching me, you yeah. know? And especially because I remember the first time I went to like it, what is it called? It's it's probably the same word in English, like in, in Swedish. In Swedish, it's called napropat. Is it a mas- na- naturopath? I don't or know. A mas- mas- spa? Yeah, it's someone touching you. <laughs> that could be <laughs> and, a lot of things. Yeah. So, and then he was, because it's like if you're hurt somewhere, if you have like a tennis elbow or something, he just like press it, 
presses a few spots mm. and then it's just like it kind of hurts but it, like it's kind of nice it kind of like a kinda, physiotherapist or something yeah exactly yeah. i guess that's the english word for it so but this he always did it yeah he's <laughs> right great outside no but he usually like, assault is the english word for he it. always like used to put pressure like not in my ass but on the side of it uh-huh. and dude guy. it hurt so bad it just like crept up in my back or something yeah have you done horrible. um did you ever get time massages when you're in asia yeah those are the yeah, best large one all the time what really there's like six time massages. are they actually good though yeah yeah yeah. i've tried all of them oh i've tried all of them i guess like walked all of them so it's yeah the, it's the best neighborhood ever, do you like right? massages I do. I like, you know. You don't think about the other people are touching you. Because <laughs> that's the only the thing that I'm that thinking about. Touched? No, but I just think about that. I don't know. I just think it's weird. Well, you I mean, feel like so you're Swedish and you've never had a Swedish massage? I probably have. So you're probably? Swedish, but you get turned off by Swedish massages. Only if it's a Swedish foot massage. Yeah, I mean, foot massage, do whatever you want. Don't <laughs> <laughs> <Go, go> ham. <laughs> yeah. Anything else. <laughs> Um, so if you find me on Hinge, <laughs> yeah, just make a f- feature. Did you ever yeah. have you ever been to Oasis on Sunset and Crescent Heights? I'm not sure if it's still there. It's in that plaza. Sounds familiar. I don't think it is. I think you told me about this, and I drove by, and it's like not there. Like basically, there's like the cheapest time massage in the area. It was like one big room. You could fit like 20 beds, and it's all divided by curtains. And the massages always like kicked my ass. I'd be in so really? much pain, but I didn't want to say anything. And my masseuse, you could always like smell the like <laughs> cigarettes on his hands. Oh God! <laughs> you have like oh, a runny God. nose. I'm like, you know, it's thirty bucks, and <laughs> it's that's horrible. Get emphysema too. Yeah, it was. Oh goodness, that's pretty good though for an hour. Thirty bucks a minute. What you what do you pay roughly like 70, 60, yeah, 70? Yeah, like seventy. I think yeah. it's like a standard rate. Yeah, I miss those ten, fifteen dollar massages. Philippines, Southeast Asia. Yeah, like, yeah, I get them every day. I remember once when I was uh, I was traveling through northern Thailand in Chiang Mai, and we just finished walking. I went to a place, and I was like, "Oh, how much is it?" Because they didn't have any of their prices listed. And I was like, "I'm not gonna fall for this." You know, yep. I was like, "How much is it?" And she's like. This old lady just grabs my um, my leg and she goes, oh, it's really tense. Yeah, you've been walking a lot. You're going to need at least three hours. I'm like, please, how much is that? She's like, it's going to be $30. And I was like, great, you're right. I, I have been walking. Like, let's start now. Like, right. And it was amazing. Yeah. Um, and she used a stick as well, which um, I don't know if Oh, it's- they do? Yeah, they use that in um- – Thai massage? In Thai massage, yeah. Yeah. Um, which most people don't though. Like, right. I've never seen that, but she used a stick and like to sort of like – poke me and then like kind of like crack my back and bend yeah. me and it, it kind of hurts in some of the moments but you feel for me i love it because it's like doing yoga but someone's doing it for you right. <laughs> like lazy yoga right yeah, like, yeah yeah they really stretch you out yeah yeah um which is like a swedish massage it's just kind of like oh, you're good i to be honest i have no clue what the, what a swedish <laughs> I think you massage can curse. Is. Really? Curse? It, it's curse. like it's i think it was more of like a pleasure massage honestly it's a lot of like smooth like kneading and smooth uh, strokes versus Thai is like rough yeah like they, they like put a foot in your back and like yeah stretch, oh yeah, stretch uh, it yeah. Like, have you done craniosacral massage i have yeah is it worth trying because we've been considering doing it and i hear some people saying like it's essential to purge negative beliefs or any trauma that's stuck but then i've watched videos on it and it's very much just seems in the vein of like reiki doesn't seem like they're getting that deep in it's more just like hand on the shoulder and yeah what do you think i don't know a whole lot about it i've had it's very relaxing but honestly even for a lot of people just doing that suboccipital hold just putting your head in somebody's hands yeah is so calming to the nervous system for so many people a lot of people will just fall asleep if you just do that. Maybe I'll really? just... Really? Yeah. 
if you have a hard time falling asleep, just have a friend put their your uh, put your head in their hands and just have them put a little bit of pressure at that first little notch where the the back of your skull meets your neck. And a lot of people, that's just they'll they'll hold a lot of tension in their neck, and then after like five minutes, you'll feel the neck release and just like the head gets heavier, and they'll just get super tired. Maybe a, maybe I'll watch someone get one one of these days. Yeah. <laughs> You're gonna watch, watch videos. Yeah, and I'm gonna... sounds coming <laughs> from this room. Uh, craniosacral. Yeah. <laughs> I'll just stand outside the uh, therapist. Office. Yeah. Why do I'm... you think um, in Asia that body touching and energy movement and flow is such a keystone to the culture whereas like we were saying massages are so cheap there and you're saying you're getting them every day and people are utilizing them it's so good for your health but here so many people don't take advantage of it and almost like touch is associated more with sex here and Mm -hmm. touch it seems like in these ancient uh, medicines in asia is more associated with wellness yeah it's tricky i mean a piece of that is always religious right we have like puritanical values but even in asia i mean one theory I heard about, you know how all these like weird sex trends are often in Japan? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Am I not just racist making that up? No. no, no, no that's yeah, the like only all this weird stuff. <laughs> oh, yeah. And one reason I heard, uh, it might have been a researcher, she was saying because the culture is so repressed and so proper. Mm. Right? Like Japanese, I think, are probably one of the most, the most um, concerned with face cultures in Asia. Right. Where it's excessively polite. And there's notorious, you know, these jokes about like doing business with the Japanese where they're like, yes, yes, good to meet you. We love your deal. And then it's a no. And that's like, to us, it seems incongruent, but it's like, they're being polite. They don't yeah. want you to lose face yeah. by right. being like insulted in public. But to us, it's like, what the fuck? I mean, what the family? Uh, <laughs> you can curse. <laughs> I, I remember uh, this Japanese girl wanted to be degraded, so I gave her a B minus. And she was very, So mission accomplished. <laughs> yeah. She, she felt you great. just given her a name. She felt great shame. Yeah, exactly. I just gave her a regular, I gave her a regular A. You gave a regular A, right. <laughs> they have, um, one of the things with uh, Japan, too, is that there a lot, enough people aren't having uh, enough sex and aren't having right. kids. And they're saying that their populations basically go extinct in something like 200 years if they don't like prop it up there's just not gonna wow. be enough people scandinavia too yeah i was really? just about to yeah. say that but yeah i think in sweden yeah i think yeah i, I remember kids. that denmark did this great campaign it was like start fucking no way. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was a public campaign, a campaign by what? the government because mm-hmm. they needed to get going you, you know, know? so korea and japan both have sex um sex museums right but not like we do it's not like are, it's more like big dildos and penises and breasts because they're so repressed in that sense. And yeah. They even have like uh, in Korea, they had um, the, the hourly motels are very popular there. Right. Uh, not so much anymore because I don't have enough sex, but like they were in like <laughs> in the 90s and stuff yeah. because you can't like, you know, premarital sex is a big no-no there and stuff. Yeah. And and then the cost of having a kid is so expensive. Same with why China is now. Um, one of the reasons they said they're banning um, ESL. Uh, English is a second language learning online is because it's such a huge financial burden for families that they're like, we're only having one kid. Wow. And China for the longest time had the one kid policy. That's not no longer in effect because they're having the same thing too. They're not, people aren't having enough kids in China, mm. even though they have over a billion people. And right? there's a lot of bachelors who, and not enough women. Yeah. yeah. They're like 20 million women short. Something like that. They marry uh, so they from Vietnam to, a lot. Yeah. They go to yeah uh, Thailand. They Thailand, get wives from there and bring them over. Too. The whole uh, whole thing. Speaking of bringing stuff over, um, do you have the the stuff I told you? No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, <laughs> I do. The, the ashwagandha, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Ashwagandha. Um, you yeah. initially went out to Asia because you had stomach issues, right? No, so that was actually later. So I always had problems with digestion, but it never became really 
it came to a crisis point when I became an entrepreneur and you just throw in a bunch of stress. But no, at that time I was just, it was always not great digestion, but mm -hmm. I was like, let me just quit this job and do what I've always wanted to do. And uh, that's what actually brought me out there. But okay, let's talk about digestion. Mm -hmm. What what happened when you, you talked about stress and having poorly, poor digestion? Yeah. What happened there? I mean, so for me, the main thing is a lot of people in my family have a similar body type like me. Like my mom is super thin. My grandpa was super thin until he got to, to middle age or late age. And it was just always, you know, some kids, they just eat food and it's no problem. And other kids eat food and they're always complaining about their stomach yeah. or about their headaches or yeah. about their whatever, asthma. Like asthma, allergies, eczema, GI stuff is all in my maternal line. Mm. And um, so I was ironically never a sickly kid. Like even to this day, I rarely ever get sick, but it was just this low grade chronic BS, even though I take, you know, good care of myself. So when I became an entrepreneur, then it just became this severe exacerbation. So like no matter how healthy I ate, it would be an average of at least three days before having a bowel movement, right? And at that point, like your appetite is gone because you're just like, I just want to like take a colon cleanse and then never eat again. But there was just like that chronically, you know, and then I go on vacation, it'll be like five, six, seven, eight days. Wow. And I'm like, if you saw my diet and how much I exercise it makes no sense, right? Like work out four or five days a week, cook every day. Like I'm not, I wasn't that stressed. Um, and then it just, you know, and then you go through the conventional medical system, you see the general doctor, you see the nutritionist, dietitian, GI specialist. They were all kind people, but not very useful. And I was like, how do you go, you know, to the worldwide specialist in GI in your area? They don't give you any useful advice. They kind of imply that you're like, they're like, you're stressed, right? And I'm like, not really at this, you know, this last, not really. He's like, yeah, I know it's so stressful life. I'm like, yeah. no, like really, I'm not like stressed at all. Like this year, it's been an easy year. He's like, I know, like, so I'm going to give you a prescription for this, for like Xanax. It'll probably help your GI. And I'm like, we, like, we having the same conversation or oh, this is very confusing. Um, and I was like, well, I'm never going back to a conventional doctor then because I don't feel like anything helped. And it was just a Chinese herbalist that got me the best results I ever had. First month of herbs, I was the most like regular. He wasn't giving me like laxatives, right? He was giving me like herbs that regulate digestion. Hmm. Appetite came back. Bowel movements were regular. I had like the most regular frequency of bowel movements in, you know, 28 years. And even though I wasn't cured after a month, I was like, I just saw the most credible GI specialist. Ivy League trained. Dude makes at least 300K. Mm -hmm. Couldn't help me at all. And was recommending like colonoscopies when I'm 21. Did you end up getting a colonoscopy? No, I no? booked it and I was like, this, this guy's an idiot. And I just, I just called in and canceled it. Huh. And I was like, if I'm like having serious problems, if I'm like pooping blood, yeah. then I'll go. But until then, then yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like that's yeah. When blood comes out but of the you. But same, the same thing happened when I was getting really sick initially. And um, I went to like the best doctors in New York yeah. um, at that time. And I was like, you know, I'm having all these stomach problems. And it's like, there's like a little bit of blood and like, I don't know what's going on. And they're like, it sounds like stress. And like, so yeah, so, right, and I was like, yeah. and I was like, do you, do you I think, blood when you have yeah, I was like, they're like, I think me, you know, you, you probably like your, your anxiety, you said you have anxiety and blood at the same time. I'm like, yeah, but I've never had an anxiety attack ever in my life. They're like, right. yeah, stress. And I'm like, but I usually don't, same thing. I was like, but I don't feel very stressful. And like, definitely stress. Yeah. And the same thing, they wanted me to take some sort of anti-anxiety thing. And I was like, common. I was like, this doesn't seem right. So I went to another doctor and the doctor's like, <laughs> I know exactly what it is. You're you're eating too many gassy foods. That's it. Just cut the gassy foods out. And I was like, really? Like, what about sure? the blood? Like, yeah, yeah. yeah, beans, blood. <laughs> and then I went to a third one. This and it was my sister's doctor actually, and she was like, hmm, well, yeah, we're gonna need to do a colonoscopy. And I was like, 
what is that? You're like, I don't even know what it was. And they're like, we're going to, you know, right up your butt. And I was like, God. And so I did that. And they found my whole entire intestines was covered in ulcers. I'm like, you got ulcerative colitis. Um, And then I went on, initially I went on prednisone um, to reduce the swelling. And then uh, went on mesalamine, which is, um, it's not a biological. So it's not as extreme as that. And I've been taking that for the last six years. Uh, Pretty much I've been fine. Um, But since I've been back. Wait, have you taken a medication? Yeah, for the last six years. years? Yeah, for my stomach. But is I'm it, sorry, but have, it's just seen? because I'm from Sweden. Uh-huh. This medication culture. Oh, it's huge here. I, it's, it's, because, yeah. it's so, as you know, like in Scandinavia, we don't profit from medication. So we don't really. really no, it's not. Because it's all government? Yeah. Government control. Oh, we profit so, here. That, that so they cannot, they cannot, yeah. you know, doctors doesn't get like anything for prescribing any medications. Yeah. And I, I, I think I've never heard anyone say that they've been on a medication for six, six years. years. Yeah. Six months? That's, that's like, whoa. Yeah. But that's nothing. Really? They'll put these people on medications for lifelong. Yeah, and it's, that's the solution to everything. It's so it, it's disenf- it's disenfranchising it's, when you go to a top doctor and you have um, bowel issues and you're being prescribed a Xanax. Right. It's like, did you mean habanero and marshmallow root? Like, yeah, right. <laughs> Ironically, I felt better when I was in Asia. Um, oh, really? And it's not that the food quality is not better there. Right. I mean, they use so many pesticides and stuff yeah, in, in yeah, Vietnam yeah. and like petroleum. And heavy metals and, yeah. and all that kind of stuff in the pollution. It makes no sense. My doctor was advising me. He's like, you know, it's it's really risky if you're going to be moving out to Asia with this. And I was like, well, I'm moving out. Like, yeah. I already quit my job and this is what I'm doing. And, um, but it was pretty much fine there for the most part. Um, and then coming back to the States, I feel like it's a little like, mm, yeah. I don't know what that is. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm actually going to get a colonoscopy on the 23rd. Because um, you, if you've also have colitis, you have a higher chance of getting like cancer and stuff, and so you think you're supposed to get every two years. Um, and I haven't got done since the initial one but like, six years ago. Sorry, I can't let go of that don't, thing that you have a medication yeah. for six years. But like the solution. No, it's not a solution. It's a band aid. Yeah, it's a band aid. Yeah, but like what? Yeah, but no, it's just medication. For, yeah, for life. it's a band aid. And without insurance, it's uh, I believe it's seven hundred dollars a month. So you have really? to do this How for the rest of insurance. your life? With insurance, 10 bucks. Oh, that's great. Like, yeah. That's incredible. Depending on your insurance. Yeah. Um, but, so you can't solve it? Well, I'm going to try to. Uh, now that I'm back in the States. So I wanna, I'm, I've been tapering off the medicine. I'm on like the lowest form right now. And if after colonoscopy, if everything looks good, um, I know you, like he has a friend who's also of Clarice that does Chinese medicine. Um, he has a Chinese herb um, cocktail. I don't, yeah. I don't know exactly what they are. Do you happen to know anyone that does that? <laughs> I mean, I know this guy. His name is Alejandro. <laughs> Alejandro, that sounds familiar. Um, but, uh, you know, um, kind of hush-hush. So we'll see. I'm going to explore it and see. Uh, my cousins also have it too. Um, also colitis. Yeah, two of them. Wow. Uh, and they have it bad. So like when I look at them, I'm like, I'm grateful. Yeah. Because uh, I pretty much feel fine most of the time. Well, it's, it's interesting because flare-ups, like my friend gets flare-ups and it's always yeah. under when he's under great duress. He's a filmmaker, director. So anytime he's shooting a movie, he gets a really bad flare-up and... There's really even the herbs can only just curb it a little bit, and there's nothing he can really do until um, the stress is reduced, and yeah. it sucks because these uh, flare-ups will last like months. Months, yeah. and he's he, like that he's eating months. and he's eating and he's going to the bathroom within minutes of finishing eating. It just goes right through him, and he can't digest it properly. But then mm. there's months where he's completely fine. Yeah, I'm lucky. Like knock on wood, I've been pretty much okay. Um, but yeah, America's very heavy on not solving things, just sort of putting the bandaid on and keeping you there forever. I, I feel like 
my early 20s, I came to that realization and it was pretty discouraging, but it was also liberating in a way when you realize that no one knows more about my body than me. And you can be your own investigator and your own master of your body. But we live in this white coat culture where everyone wants to just go right to the white coat for every little symptom and doesn't want to investigate and get to know how the body operates. But like that is also something that I find so weird because here in America, no one watches television, but you have like television commercials about like medicine. Are you sad? Yeah. And then, yeah. And then, yeah. It's only legal in three countries in the world. Only three countries. And it's just like, why would, and then, then they say like, talk to your doctor. I'm like, no, if I need it, if I have a problem, I'll go to my doctor. And if I really need it, mm. my doctor knows that that is the medication I right. should take. So it's just so backwards for me yeah. that I'm gonna I'm supposed to tell my doctor what I need. Yeah. Like in Sweden, we have this internal joke about Swedish healthcare because we never get pills for anything. Really? Like you have to go there. Like you have to be. It has to be severe. Really. Um, for you to get any sort of medication. So every time you go to the doctor. They always tell you to like drink water, get some rest, go out and take a walk, and then like take a, take a ibu- I- ibuprofen. <laughs> that doesn't work. Like yeah, a guess. small dose of ibuprofen if it's like severe, and that's it. And eat like blueberry soup. That's blueberry? also something. Blueberry soup? What? That's a Swedish thing? <laughs> yes. Really? How do you make it? How many blueberries go in like a. I, I don't know. I don't really know. Like we usually, it's usually something that kids eat when they're small. Blueberry is it? Too. Is it warm? Intrigued. I kind of want to make it. Now. Yeah, I mean, can you make us some sometime? Yeah, definitely. Okay. Next episode to be continued. Yeah. All right, <laughs> I'm gonna make some blueberry soup for you. Um, I want to shift a bit into habits, routines. Um, I know you're. That's a a big thing for you. Yeah, you wrote a book on it. Yeah, so I imagine. <laughs> I have, um, I have some. I have my two cents. So. Yeah. So. Um, in terms of habits, what are your what are your takes on when your when your routine's not working mm-hmm. anymore? Like, say you have all these things. Okay, I want to wake up. I want to meditate. I want to journal. I want to work out for an hour. I want to meal prep. Uh, I want to like you know like invest in crypto and then go start my day. Yeah. And then you keep failing. You're not doing that. How how to create a routine that's sustainable that works that benefits you? I think the big thing I notice is just creating whatever is the lowest common uh, habit denominator, so to speak. So if you have like a five-part morning routine and you realize that most days you only get three things done, then just do three every single day. You know, try to aim for the max regularity versus like the max amount in a day. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the same thing like in the new year with people going to the gym where it's like, you know, it's always the rookies. It's funny, you know, you go into the gym and it's it's usually split like 90-10. 90% of the people buying protein powder are completely out of shape, right? It's mostly the guys that like just start working out. They're like, they're like, baking up the bulk of the sales of like no explode like all, <laughs> right, this, right. all this bs that you have in the marketplace almost always i'm just like the biggest dude here is not not usually the one i usually see doing a protein shake at the end it's like like these high school kids that are just like yeah we're getting in the gym man and then they have like 800 dollars of supplements and so i think it's that philosophy of like a lot fast that fails for people mm-hmm. and so if that's the thing like if it's five rituals that aren't working i just reduce it to what can I do? The question for me is what can I do every day mm-hmm. forever Yeah. instead of like what's going to like change my life the fastest? What is your typical like routine that you follow each, each day? I do like a simple hour morning routine, which is basically the first 25 minutes are either Qigong or yoga. So Qigong, people trendily know as breath work these days. Literally, it's a literal translation huh. in Chinese. Um, 
the second 20 minutes or so is kind of like journaling. Like I have uh, this huge whiteboard with all my goals on it. So I have like the top 10 goals I want to have happen. Some will take a month, some will take five years. And I'll just look at those every single day. And then the third part is I put on an audiobook, usually like a biography or something self-growth like. And then I just write down, you know, I have a little moleskin pocket notebook, you know, mm -hmm. those little yeah. five inch ones. And um, whatever my focus is for the day, I just write down in there. And then I start my day. Would you, awesome. would you say it's critical to not have any stimulants, coffee or tea, while you start this routine? Is that is the dopamine high that people are getting as soon as they wake up? The best part of waking up is getting intoxicated for breakfast. Is that dopamine dysregulation what is causing people to not be able to stick with their habits? Or does it help people or does it depend on the individual? Yeah, I think it depends on the person, how your body handles it. You know, like some people, they tolerate a couple cups of coffee a day, no problem. And other people like three cups a week and they're getting acid reflux and indigestion all day. Hmm. So I think it depends on your body. Like some people, this is like a big thing in, in Chinese medicine is, is everybody's medicine for each person is always constitutional, right? So it's like based on your body type and your tendencies. If you're more of an anxious type and you're an upper, you know, there's this Salvador Dali quote that uh, I don't do drugs, I am drugs. <laughs> and I feel like that because I, like, I am an upper, right? I have up energy all the time unless I'm like really tired or sleep deprived. And so the tendency for me to get pushed too far in that direction is easy with like coffee, for example. So you avoid coffee? I have it like every other day. So maybe three times a week. Huh. So yeah. when you said you feel like you're up all the time, I feel like that's kind of like me. So when you have coffee, do you almost feel like euphoric and yeah. very, very good? See, Very I, chatty and sweaty though. Like the yes. Down, like I feel like my best self in some ways, I almost... I just feel so energized and like tapped in and I have a body high and I feel euphoric. And I thought everyone felt that way right. when they got it, but it's almost like I feel relaxed in a sense too. I don't feel like jittery or like, I've, I almost feel like stimulated into relaxation, but very on. That's yeah. so interesting because I have the complete opposite effect. I can drink coffee throughout the day. And you feel nothing. You sleep I feel nothing. That's, I feel the same. I'll have I feel like nothing. three or four cups and yeah. I'll be, I can pass out 10 p.m. Really? But I think that's yeah. a bad sign. That means yeah, yes. I mean, I, in some I ways. Mean, the thing <laughs> is, I don't know, just like you said, I don't know, maybe it's like poor quality sleep. Mm -hmm. I don't know that. But I don't feel anything mm -hmm. from coffee. And it doesn't matter, like I've tried to be like, stay off of coffee for like a period of time and see like what happens if I reintroduce it. Nothing. Mm -hmm. Like nothing. I want to try... Um, Maybe give it up for two weeks. Yeah. It's going to be hell from whatever. You have read. to. The, the, I tried it and I did it for 30 days and I was fatigued the entire time. Really? Like the first few days, you have a headache and you feel a lot of fatigue and you have that mild grade headache for 48 hours. Mm -hmm. But after even 30 days, I still felt so much fatigue that I was just jonesing for a little bit of caffeine. Mm -hmm. So, so I now I got curious what are you guys' morning routines? On a good day, um, <laughs> every like day. Yesterday, I, I nailed most of them, but I also have a whiteboard in there with my goals. But nice. I haven't updated the goals since <laughs> like 1986. <laughs> <laughs> it still like, says like get a girlfriend. Yeah, graduate like, high school. Like, finish the Sandlot movie. <laughs> get my uh, driver's permit. Yeah. Um, on a good day, my my routine would be wake up, um, meditate, uh, journal. I do three pages of free free form writing. So not just kind of writing and getting my thoughts out, whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. um, I'm following um, um, the artist way. Mm -hmm. I haven't finished it, but yeah. I do that sort of writing style. The, the morning, morning pages. pages. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so it would be wake up, have my coffee, 
meditate, uh, journal, and then head to like F45, work out, do a class, come back, shower, get ready. That's the ideal day. I usually maybe get that three days a week. I accomplish that. On a bad day, which it becomes habit, I'll wake up, look at my phone, check all my messages real quick, send in, go in the kitchen, have a ridiculous conversation with Steven for <laughs> about something. About toothpicks um, on toast. Yeah, talk about like Good how morning, to- Brian. <laughs> <laughs> Give Daddy his toothpick. Pick me up here. And then and then go out and then um, do the various jobs I'm doing, whatever. Um, and that's not, that's a bad day and you feel that. And sometimes yeah. the bad days go on for too long. Yeah. And then when they go on for too long, I'm like, what am I doing? Like, this is not how I want to live. Like reset. And that's almost like when we went into lockdown, I, I started the lockdown in India and I had my like routine down. Perfect. I mean, there was nothing else you could really do. Yeah. Right. So it's quite easy though, but I, I literally nailed it for a good, like, 30 days. I was waking up. I was doing transcendental meditation. I would then journal. I'd then go out for a walk and then I'd um, come back, get ready. Like everything was perfect and it gave me so much energy and I felt like I accomplished something. And one thing I read, um, it's from a, um, I don't know if it was David Goggins book. Uh, I don't know if you read that one. I did. Yeah. yeah that one isn't that talk about like motivational, like yeah. habits, like Motherfucker, get the fuck up and like yeah. make your bed. And there's, like, there's no like this is the habit framework. It's yeah, like, quit being a bitch. <laughs> <Yeah>. Fucking run. <laughs> yeah, literally. Um, and it, it works for some. I loved it. It, it motivated me a lot. Yeah, um, but I work. make my bed. I try to make my bed almost every single day. So I come back and my bed is made. And it's like it's that if you complete one task that day, you know, it's like you're setting your mind in that rhythm of completing yeah. things. Um, and the days I don't make my bed, if I have to run out for an audition or I have to go meet someone, my day's a little bit more chaotic. Right. So, um, yeah. What about you? What is yours, Amanda? Um, I actually, I don't know if I have a, I have stuff that I do every day. I wake up and then the first thing I do is make my bed. But I'm also, I've done that since I was a kid. It's not like I got to do it because successful people do it. It's like, <laughs> no, I just do it because it looks messy otherwise. Dude, right. I'm a woman. You know, and so I just make my bed and then I directly put on like bicycle shorts and t-shirt and then I walk for about one and a half hour. I go mm. to Starbucks and get my coffee, morning coffee, and then I get back. It's an hour and a half away? No, but oh. the thing is, You might have started on the 405 yeah. walking. <laughs> I was like, Dad, You'll see me on it. the 405. No, no. It, the fun part is that I, I always say to myself, okay, just go to Starbucks and that's like, 20 minutes away and then when i'm there it's so nice because it's like always good weather here in the u.s and i'm like i'll continue so i have my little route that i usually do and if i'm super tired i just go there and then go back really fast so then it takes like one hour tops Mm -hmm. but usually like one and a half hour and then i come back and then i take shower and make lunch if i have time Mm -hmm. and then it's like already like 12 (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> somehow i, I wake up really, really late but yeah what i wanted to say also is that but that is like my morning routine mm-hmm. but i also have an evening routine mm-hmm. and that one is also almost like bigger to me than the the morning routine what's your evening routine like i read every night and you know i like take care of myself i always light candles in my room and just relax so I have, you know, and also like beauty treatments that women does just to feel clean. And also I journal, but I always do it at night. Hmm. I don't know why, but that's what I do. So that's my routine. My routine is I don't have much routine because I wake up with energy usually. And also this 
lingering stress to have to get, (laughs) yeah, anxiety to have to get things done that I have a lot of resistance to the routine and I will go straight to getting in front of my computer and opening up the documents of things that, like you said, with your goals, I'll open up these documents that just have all of these things I want to do. And I start trying to chip away at it. And sometimes it's a little bit successful, but sometimes I just get overwhelmed and like, Oh, I'm on Reddit for two hours and then I'm just drinking coffee. So I know the routine is super important, but I feel so much resistance to it. I don't know why. Unless I have some kind of accountability, like if Joey's like, you need to, you're going to meditate like this morning, then I can do it. But I feel like I wake up and I'll just dart up and get in front of my computer because I, I feel productive in the morning. I feel like I can write. I feel creative. I feel pr- productive. I feel the most alive when I wake up. And at night, I kind of just feel like a corpse by the end of the night and my brain doesn't work as well. But in the morning, I almost, I guess I have a belief that if I don't, channel the energy properly as soon as I wake up that I'm going to lose my productivity. But I know that's a fallacy because if I'm more relaxed, I'm probably going to have more longevity to my productivity throughout the day and not just spike it as soon as I wake up and the rest of the day I'm kind of burnt out. So someone who's doing that, what advice would you have for them to sort of get out of that sort of Reddit spending, you know, hours doing what you don't want to do and then not yeah. channeling the energy in the, in the I resources. do a little bit of what I want to do. I just had like I have resistance to making my bed. I have resistance to, uh, like getting in the shower as soon as I wake up. Like I go right to like, okay, I want to have like some coffee. I'm going to pull up these documents. I want to get this done. I'm going to write this. I want to like advance my career, advance my career. But it always seems like I don't get as much done as I I should. I think you're wise though. And you recognize that the morning is your productive time, Yeah. right? So you know that that's when you're going to get stuff done. So you jump to it. What I personally have found that is the physical location is one of the biggest influencers in my productivity. So I never work in the same spot for more than three hours. If I, I mean, my schedule is split where it's like half my week is entrepreneurial and half the week is with patients. So when I'm with patients, I'm in my, my private practice, right? In the clinic. So on the other times though, I'll do three hours in the morning at my spot, go to a cafe, three hours, break it up with the gym or a meal and then go somewhere else. And I find that that's really, really helpful. So like you shouldn't be like, if you're, you know, in bed is where you watch Netflix on your laptop. You shouldn't then be in bed and working on your goals or stuff. I find that it just leads to that creep a lot more. Me too. You know, it's easy to do. They did a lot in, um, sorry, go on. I I can't do anything in my room except like sleeping and the things that I told you, like Hmm. take it easy, read and journal. But I would never sit with my computer and try to do work there because I, I just, I can't. So yeah. I also go to coffee shops. Did it's you read um, Atomic Habits? Because he talks I a lot. I did. You did. Yeah. So he talks a lot about that, what you just said, mm. in terms of like your body remembers habits on location. Yeah. And so like immediately when you go in bed, your body says, okay, bed, time to rest. Right. And so if you then associate bed with rest, but then also being productive, it sends mixed signals to your body subconsciously that you're not even aware of. Okay, time to rest, but it's time to be productive. And you're in this weird state. So it's like what he says is like, you know, if, even if you have a small, tiny New York apartment, like put a chair in the corner, that chair is where you're going to meditate, maybe read. Okay. Then don't work there though. Cause then you just want to associate that chair with time to go inner and yeah. relax. If you're going to work, do it, whatever on your kitchen table, if that's where you're going to work. You know, if you don't have any other space or go somewhere else or rent a space. Being in a coffee shop is uh, critical for me to have more productivity. I remember during the lockdown, I really, really was missing that, that you couldn't go to yeah, a public place to get work done. It's like, I'm sitting in this apartment all day and it's supposed to also be an office for me. And it, it just made it tough. And I think environment is key because when you're sitting here, you're adjacent to a kitchen, you're adjacent to a bed. And especially like if you're living alone and you can 
literally do whatever you want. And maybe this isn't all guys, but I feel like the the creep down like your pants or you're getting what? like <laughs> the creep down your yeah, pants. Yeah, honestly, that feels like a guy thing. <laughs> no, but honestly, I know too it's, it's many. It's easier, faster for us to find relief. So, yeah, you know, it's, exactly. a, it's a quick work break. Exactly. And I've also, I realized that like, Say I'm like editing something. So, I shouldn't say I'm, I'm editing this podcast. Wow, you're editing this microphone. You're watching us and editing this. It's anything that feels anything that feels <laughs> habits. Your habits. Anything that feels like it's uh, mentally stressful and it's like taxing to my mind. Yep. I notice my mind is fiending for something. Whether it's I want a coffee. I want to like scroll the internet i want um i want to go eat something with sugar in it it's all just trying to escape it's there's a guy i listen to rupert spiral he talks about like the separate self and anytime like you're experiencing the separate self through the addictions and like the dopamine chasing the best thing to do is to sit with it and then you eventually the separate self will absorb and sink back into your essence but this the separate self will always crave something and i feel like especially when I'm feeling stressed out about something. That's the tussle I have in my mind to not find some way of like coping with uh, the mental duress. Yeah. Do you know Stephen Pressfield? No. I think he lives here in LA, but he wrote a book called The War of Art. And oh, his I've whole heard book, book is yeah. about, he calls that the resistance. So it's like whenever you feel resistance is when most people usually choose a distraction, mm. right? So it's like you're working, you're working, you're working. Suddenly it becomes hard work because you're trying to do something that's not that easy to do right and then it's like ah uh, let me just go to instagram real quick like quick so fix or what to do about that like i have a friend who's a stand-up comic mm -hmm. and like he's, he's super talented but he he never performs yeah. he like he's like one day i'll be like i'm gonna do this i have the energy like i'm gonna do five nights a week and really work on my craft then the next morning he's like ah oh, no i don't have any, i don't know what to say i can't do it and then weeks and then months go by and he performs yep. maybe once in like five months yeah what would you say to that person like if he like he, his passion is he wants to do stand-up he wants to be consistent with it, but he doesn't do it. And years have now passed. I think some of that can be just psychological self-sabotage, mm. right? Because having a dream and doing nothing about it is less scary than doing something about it, mm. right? Just like I'm thinking of myself talking to those pretty girls and then actually walking up and my heart starts pounding and I start sweating profusely or whatever it is. And then I'm worried about looking dumb in front of my friends. I think a lot of people when it comes to stuff like that, it is a kind of self-sabotage because of just they're just afraid mm. and it's it's of course always easier to say we're going to do something than do it right? Right, right if you're a real writer all you do every day is write like this no, that's, right. that's what you do if you're a martial artist or an athlete like you have to train every day anything else short of that is not you're not a professional mm. right and that whole book the war of art he talks about like that's the difference between amateurs and professionals like a professional is actually doing the work right. right you can like you can measure it like i can show you i was at the gym four hours today if i want to be like whatever like a, an Olympian, right? Like mm -hmm. a track runner or something. And if you're not, then you're not doing it. Good. Okay. So <laughs> I just thought about when you were speaking, I thought about one of my favorite quotes and it's the show me or tell me what you're passionate, what your goals are and what you're passionate about. Then show me your calendar and your bank statement and we'll see if it makes sense or mm. if, if it's true. Cool. And that's like what you're talking about. Like they actually, yeah. they can prove it. They can show you that you know, of my 24 hours, I spent it like this. Yeah. So it's, yeah, I just thought it was powerful. Yeah, I know this person who's struggling with stage fright because it's me. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I was like, Ryan, are you? I actually, 
At first, I was like, who else does he know? <laughs> yeah, I, 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 like, like, I like how the gears were going the whole time. Thankfully, I, I didn't say something really it. offensive. Okay. I know, Brian. This guy's I know full this of shit. Really He's just <laughs> stop being friends with him. Yeah, Don't ever talk to him. He's a piece of shit. He has yeah, a podcast. <laughs> he needs um, therapy for life. I, yeah. So I have a question because I feel like um, I have, so obviously there's fear there, but I feel like I have beliefs that are going along with the fear and the fear feels so physical to me. Yeah. And it's really the buildup to it because when I'm up there, I'm fine. It's the buildup where my brain is almost um, so in fight or flight that it's it's like preparing for battle or even like preparing for death. Yeah. That's what it feels like. And when your heart is pounding and like you're trembling, to me, that makes it difficult to make a room full of people laugh. So I think it's... But I, I've done it so many times and I'm always fine, but the buildup and it's almost like I have an imprinting of this impending trauma yeah. that I'm going to experience. And I'm so afraid of it that I don't even attempt it. It's like Bashar says, you can be afraid of anything and still do everything you want. When you're afraid of being afraid, you take two steps back and you don't even attempt it because you're so afraid of experiencing those sensations. Right, right. But then if you continue to self-sabotage yourself, you're going to like 10 20 years and of course like i've i've I've, yeah i've already gone like six years but it's like i chip away at all my other fears but yeah. to one, me that's the one in my mind that's the most scary right to one, me one thing uh i just started listening to joe Dispenza's book i don't know if you've read that which one which book? uh super becoming supernatural yeah, yeah and he talks a lot about like um you know one thing you can do is like when you have this fears for whatever it is because that fear can also cause illness in your body yeah that right. can cause disease to happen from that constant fear. And you should said like, you know, you know, the second get up there, you do fine. You feel great. People laugh and you feel good about yourself. So I think what he would say when he was saying the chapter I was listening to today was focus on that feeling each day, meditate on that feeling, what that feels like to be there and keep realizing because it's going to change your own chemistry within your body when you're focusing on that and committing to actually performing. Right. I think to go off of the beliefs again, it's the belief I have when I'm going to perform is that the audience is like against me in a way, not against me, but I have to win them over. Like yeah. they're, they're my task to win over, but I've been in the audience plenty of times and I don't put myself diametrically opposed to the comedian. Like they're like where I'm in battle with, on their phone or they're just looking at the person or being like, Oh man, I don't want to do stand. Exactly. That but it, like, that's right. an extreme people pleasing. And I have always used to love, uh, public speaking and I didn't have an issue until I went through puberty and I'm gay. So I harbored that secret since I was maybe 13. Mm -hmm. And I, since I public spoke in public since that time and I was harboring that secret and every, all the hormones were going, I was a disaster at it. It wasn't even a disaster. I was still well-spoken, but I was just like literally just dying in front of a room of people. And it was so, it felt so um, debilitating in a way that yeah. I've, I feel like my brain thinks that it's, gonna keep experiencing that because it yeah. traumatized me in a way i think that's extremely valid i mean first of all you you hear the stories like even just sexual identity the, i hear the stories of friends especially from really conservative or immigrant families try to try to bring that up to their parents and some have actually been completely disowned right mm. that's a real like, that's like a real fear right it's a serious ego spiritual death and for you, it sounds like a piece of this standup could be almost like a PTSD, like a traumatic response, right? The somatic memory is, fuck, that's the feeling that is awful. And it's going to be in front of people again. Yes. And it's going to be five nights a week. Yes. It's the amplification of my trauma and my greatest fears. Yeah. And that's why I view standup as almost, it's the ultimate therapy for me 
because if I can overcome that, I can, it's the ultimate catharsis to purge that, that trauma within right. me. But and, what to do to actually get up there and perform the five yeah. nights a week? Cause you said yourself, if you don't perform five nights a week, you can't make a career out of this long term. So what can you do to sort of get past that? Or maybe you bring your fear along the line. You like say your fear, like you're going to be there, but I'm going to show up and you, you can come out and you can screw up my set, but I'm going to go and I'm going to perform. Like what can you do to, to do that? I to think, ensure? I think it's mostly ego negotiation because I want to come off as someone who is fast talking and funny and can make people laugh. But no. if on the inside, I'm like an emotional wreck, then I'm obviously not coming off as that. If I'm doing my crowd work and there's like a trembling in my voice, right. I feel like these people are going to view me as less. And my ego is like, nope, we're not even going to attempt it. But do you think yeah. like one, I need to say like, wow, I got a little bit surprised that you felt that way. Cause I mean, I've, I've watched you do stand up. You were brilliant. Like you looked so, you know, calm, collected. You were there too. I know. I paid you he, 20 bucks to say that. <laughs> <laughs> no, but honestly. I mean, a doctor gave me Xanax before the show. I was like, I don't have indigestion. Why do you do <laughs> Yeah, exactly. That's, 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 the, that's, that's the other backup option. right? No, but like you were so good. So I didn't even think that you felt that way. But my second thing that I wanted to say was, but if you and me went somewhere in the US, we went to Austin or Nashville or wherever. And then we just like booked in shows every night. Do you think that because you do it more frequently that the fear would yeah. de- you know, yeah. like go away yeah. a little bit more? What I'm doing is the most detrimental and I guess dangerous thing you can do because when you're only doing a little bit of it, you're forgetting your brain is not building that habit. It's not transforming its belief about that action. So I'm like, it's like if I want to learn to swim, but only once every three months, I'm putting my big toe into the pool. You'll never make it. I'll never never make it. When I was a kid, I had a horse. (laughs) Just saying. So a horse? That's it. That's Wait, all what? I wanted to say. No. <laughs> but the thing, I had a horse when I was a, a kid. And I remember my mom always said, when when you eventually fell off, because you did that once in a while, and she always said, get back. The, like, the first thing you do, even if you, like, actually, like, hit yourself, like, something hurts, you have to sit back up. Because otherwise you will be afraid. Mm-hmm. And I had that happen to so many of my friends that also had horses. And, you know, we were riding and someone fell off. And if they didn't go up, like, in the saddle again, mm. the first, like, five minutes, it was such a strict rule. It came to a point where some people, like, quit. They didn't want to do it again. They were terrified of it. So I just thought about that also. I think, too, what helps, like, for me, I like I'm as an actor, sometimes if I get really big scripts, I'm like, oh, God, like... How am I going to memorize all this? Like, why, do, why am I doing this? And I stress out about it. I'm like, what if I can't remember it? Then yeah. I didn't go on this whole spiral. And one thing I did, because I had that belief for so long that I, I just, oh, I'm ADD and I can't remember things. And that was sort of my like identity I kept. I can't remember things. And so I took on when I was in India, an offer came up. I was like, you know, I really want to do theater. My friend Mark was like, hey, I'm going to be traveling for two months. Can you understudy for me and take over? And I was like, how big is the role? And he's like, you're playing four characters in the entire play. And I was like, yeah, sign me up. I'm down. And I was like, oh my God, what have I done? Like, and it was literally, it was like 45 pages of like dialogue I didn't remember. And I was like, Jeez. I'm going to screw this up. And I'm doing it with all these actors that are very well-respected in India. And like, I'm just going to make a fool of myself and out of them if I screw up their lines or cut them off. And it it wasn't easy. Every day I'd be in the rickshaw when I was going anywhere. I'd meet a friend. I'd 
I recorded the whole thing first on my phone and then I put it in my ears and I listened to the whole thing over and over again throughout the entire day. And then I'd go home and I'd try to recite the, like, um, the monologues and stuff that I had. And then I'd go to bed and I'd listen to it five minutes before bed. And I did this literally for a full month and we got up on stage and I forgot everything. No, and then it went. Yeah, I remember that's why I'm in LA. Yeah, that's why I'm in LA. The China monologues were boring. And it yeah. went. Uh, it went perfect. And I proved to myself. It's kind of like we said in Atomic Habits. It's one vote for you. Yeah. It's like, oh, you know what? This belief that I can't remember things, it's not true because yeah. I just proved that I can. And I think you also have a lot of resistance too about remembering your set. Yeah. So going off of beliefs, we're saying how my beliefs I have in regards to performing or uh, eliciting a physical response to my body. How does Chinese medicine view beliefs in general? And what is a belief? Because I've heard from Bashar that beliefs have chemical constituents in the cells of know, your body. Do you know who Bashar is? Yeah. Okay. I do actually. Right. Yeah. Do you want to say who it is though for the audience? Because it might be like Bashar. And for me. Like a friend. Yeah. In front of Amanda. Yeah. <laughs> so Bashar. Hey Bashar, what are you doing here? Bashar is known as a channel. It's a man, Daryl Anka. He's in his 60s. For the last 30 years or so, he's gotten into a deep meditative state and is able to channel a, what he claims to be an extraterrestrial entity named Bashar. Bashar is the name that he goes by. Uh, it means messenger in Arabic. So Bashar. <laughs> Bash face. You had Amanda's face reaction. Bash Bashar. I've, I've actually met him before. He's a regular dude. You know. uh, okay. Bashar, Bashar who is actually, he claims to be Daryl's uh, future version of, him, of himself 500 years into the future. There's no, there's <laughs> welcome to America and Los Angeles, America. He also has I'm an, only, he hasn't, he has an only fans. No, uh, yes, <laughs> uh, anyways, what were we saying? So Bashar, <laughs> now that I've been laughed out of the room, facing my greatest fear, Bashar, Bashar yes. talks about how there's, um, beliefs have a physical component to them. Does Chinese medicine address this in any way? Cause you know, when the doctor can tell you like, oh, Brian, it's terminal. And, and you start grieving at that moment and your body will yeah. actually start dying in some way just from that belief. So, yeah, right. so I think there's a, a fine distinction, right? There's thoughts and there's emotions, right? If I think about a shark right now, I don't feel anything, right? But I've actually been on a shark dive in Fiji and I ran out of oxygen and I will start profusely sweating. So the thought I think is, a trend, is the most immaterial point Right, and then it moves into this kind of somatic realm where a thought becomes an emotion, and an emotion triggers a, physio a physiological change. Mm. Right, and that's when thoughts become emotions. That's when they can be pathological or or healing. Mm. So I think it's it's tricky because a belief by itself doesn't necessarily mean anything. Right, a belief may change somebody's action, or like you said, the the belief is it's tied to a thought, is tied to a belief, is tied to an emotion, is tied to a memory, and that's tied to a feeling. And so I think sometimes um, it's that distinction between is this a thought or is this an emotion I think is really key because Joe Dispenza is talking about you have to feel the feeling. Right. Because the feeling is what affects physiology, mm -hmm. right? The feeling will actually release, you know, hormones and neurotransmitters. So And they sort of that sort of stuff they've done um they've done studies that with like cortisol and even simple things like um in terms of your body and how you hold trauma on your body. They've done studies. Yeah. Amy Cuddy gave a great TED talk on this um out of Harvard. I believe it was Harvard. And um Basically, she found that if you just say you have a really stressful event coming up, a big meeting, a job interview, a, a date, whatever it is for you that makes it extremely stressful, just doing certain power positions for two minutes before the event literally lowers your stress hormone, which is cortisol. Mm -hmm. And it raised other um, things like dopamine, all these things that make you feel more confident and more 
uh, like more ready to take on whatever that task was. And one of them was like, it's like putting your hands above your head. One of them like this. Another one was putting your feet on a desk and again, putting your hands back and creating these positions of like dominance and power. And some of the examples, you know, which made her lead to this research, she found like monkeys, obviously monkeys and also humans, if we're going to fight, right? You immediately, your chest is back, your arms are up, you're making yourself look bigger, right? If you're going to fight, it's getting you into that thing. She's like, well, what else do we do when we do that? When we're scared, you know, if I'm in a meeting and I have my, you know, I'm laying down or on my back is sort of into my knees and my, my arms are here like this. This tells you right away that I'm nervous, insecure and shy. But if I'm sitting like this, you would not say like, oh, you know, if my if I'm sitting with my back, you know, to the chair, my, my legs are out, you wouldn't be like, oh, he's really insecure right now or he looks really shy. Because no. You're taking up more physical space. And so literally doing these sort of things changes your body's chemistry, just the way you position your body. So think about when you're having Yeah, and it's the same like if you smile too. Yeah, literally. That releases smiling at other people releases um where those mirror neurons. Yeah. Um it releases a hit of like dopamine when you smile. So you were <laughs> it, it, it passed away. Like, you missed. <laughs> you were saying on your YouTube channel that spirit and having joy for life, one of the keystones of Chinese medicine, actually supersedes diet and exercise most of the time, and you actually age less when you don't have that stress. And I was wondering if you've heard of these indigenous peoples. I think the Aborigines are one, maybe the Yanomami in uh Central and South America, they actually, allegedly, this is what Bashar has said, mm-hmm. that they've they've been able to um, withdraw from Roman numeral base time. That we're all like, time is in its social agreement. They've been able to actually withdraw from time and live for hundreds of years. Mm. And these are humans allegedly that can do this because they can withdraw from the aging process, since aging is actually just tied with our Roman numeral base time, and they. They've allegedly, there's like five, there's people that are 500 years old that are alive today. Great ARP benefit. Um, <laughs> I don't know if I believe in that. I want to hear your, I mean, Chinese medicine is like India and China are obsessed with this like guru culture, right? Mm-hmm. And longevity culture, which is why there are so many people are susceptible to those kinds of stories. Yeah. I remember this one story. There's a book called uh, Encounters with Chinese Hermits. It's like these, I, mean, I think they were professors. They go to remote China to visit all these monasteries. And one guy was like 50, but he had this huge white beard, right? Like very professor-like, like Dumbledore. And uh, the other guy was that these people, these monks, young Taoist acolytes were like, oh, how old is this guy? How old is this guy? Because he has like the guru. And he's like, uh, 126. And they're all like, oh my God, this guy's incredible. Tell me your secret. Just some random, you know, gringo basically from like Michigan. <laughs> and <laughs> a professor at like some school. And, but they wanted to believe it, right? So I don't, with these extreme longevity claims, I don't know. I mean, even on my website, I have this story of this guy called Li Qingyun, who supposedly lived to be 256. And the interesting thing about his story, I don't, I don't personally believe it, but what's interesting is that there's a New York Times article written about him in like 1930s when he died in America. A famous general actually paid him to come visit him in Taiwan to share his longevity secrets, right? And this general actually did his techniques and lived to be like, late 90s and one of them you guys find funny was always having these sexual Taoist practices with young girls like 20 somethings but like every three years new girl he did that all the way into his 90s <laughs> specific Taoist sexual practices and uh and he lived to be in like his late 90s but the guys the practices that this guy recommends were really interesting he was like 
you know, he lived remotely and harvested herbs out of the Chinese countryside and all these, all these, um, credible people at these different generation generational points in history had verified they had met this guy and so it's a very weird kind of story that's become almost pseudo mythical mm. um then there's a whole book on him and his practices based huh. on an interview with him but i think pragmatically speaking like for modern people i feel like a lot of us waste so much time why i live to be 156 right, right. like yeah i would much rather have a great life doing what i want I, I thought about that too i'm like i don't know why people are obsessed of living so long it's like or you just like take care of the time you have right yeah. now. Yeah. I feel like one lifetime is enough if you use yes, it. Yes. You know? Definitely. It's more than enough. Life goes by <laughs> quickly, but it also like doesn't feel that short to me. Right. I've been someone, doing this for a long time, it feels it, like. Yeah. It was someone that said something so good to me the other day. They said like the days are long, but the years are short. Yeah. You know, something like yeah. that. Yeah. And I was like, Yes. And, and it's also- that sucks. <laughs> how old are you if you don't mind me asking i'm 28 okay. i have to think about it <laughs> do you remember what life was like when you were 18 does it feel like a long time ago it feels like ages ago yeah right yeah like another life yeah right? totally a whole different other life. life yeah yeah um one thing too going back to the habits i forgot where i read this but they said like if you don't take control of your habits your habits will take control of you and whether you choose to have like a morning routine or create conscious habits, everyone has habits. Right. The habit might be you reach for your phone and you spend an hour on there reading stuff and then you go have a cigarette and then you just order McDonald's delivery, whatever it is, you have habits. And if you don't become control of that, your habits take over. And Joe Dispenza talks about this. And then you just subconsciously, you're just going through life now because every day is sort of the same. You're waking right. up, you brush your teeth, you take the sh- you go to the shower, you go to the office, see the same people work on the same thing, come home, watch your favorite TV show, you know, and it's just, you're not changing anything. There's not new information and new experiences coming and your neurons just get used to this whole uh, habitual habits that you have. But that's like the reason why I moved to America. For new habits? I mean, because my biggest fear, we actually talked about this before we started recording. My biggest fear is to wake up be really old and oh, realize yeah, yeah. that my life just passed me. Mm-hmm. That's a great. That fear. is honestly my biggest that's fear. Yeah. That's a great fear to have. Yeah. And and I had this. Honestly, like I had a great career. I had my apartment. You know, I bought it. I had my friends. I had everything. But the problem is that it was just, you know, Groundhog Day. Yeah, yeah. it was truly that was yeah. So I wanted to come to America, become I think that's poor, great. and <laughs> yeah, why not have roommates again and. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And pay dream. for the health healthcare. And yeah. yeah, it's great. Um, <laughs> I think one of the studies <laughs> they've done, um, one of the studies they've done on people on their deathbeds, and they've asked like, "What is um, what are your biggest regrets?" And never, it's it's very, it's always never what they didn't do, or it's never what they did. It's what they didn't do. Yeah, they always regret the things they didn't do. Not right. like all the time they tried traveling here. Oh, I, re- I wish I'd saved that extra thousand. No, right. It's always the things they didn't do. I didn't take the risks to try a new job. Well, I didn't push myself hard enough to um, be a writer or be a painter, whatever they wanted to do. They were too scared and they got stuck in their safe job, but they hated it. And they didn't push themselves every day. Because just like you said, days turn to weeks, weeks to months, and then years pass by. So I think that's some pretty uh, some deep stuff in terms of your fear. It's a good fear. Can someone make my bed? <laughs> <laughs> Alex, um, do you have anything you want to uh, plug your books you know? where they can where yeah. they can find them where can everyone yeah, find, where can you? find you so i'm i'm living this like split life like my prior um business i built modern health monk is really personal growth oriented so if people want to consume that content 
they can just type in Modern Health Monk on Google or YouTube. Um, my name on Amazon, where all my books are. Um, and then, yeah, I have a private practice here in LA. So if people want to come chat with me about Chinese medicine or whatever, I'm happy to for free. And how would they so, find have, find you to do that? Um, my, so my name, Alex Hein, H-E-Y-N-E.com. That has all the info about my practice and my credentials if they care about that and that kind of thing. So Perfect. Cool. Yeah. Thank you so awesome. much for coming on the show. Yeah. That was a blast. Time, time flies. Yeah. yeah. It does. It really does. Every time I say that, I always imagine the exit music in my head. Like, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, dun, 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 dun. do we have uh, exit music? Do we? Yeah, we do. And uh, I'm always trying to end on a joke. That's why I just abruptly like, I got to laugh. Okay. <laughs> ended of- now. Yeah. But none of this will be in it. No. Right? Well, okay. We've already ended it. Okay. We'll okay. see. We'll see. He's the editor. It's true. <laughs> All right, guys. This has been Three People on a Couch. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. Bye. Bye.